Welcome back to 1874, the podcast that brings you the definitive word on Aston Villa Football Club every single week. I'm joined by the Athletics Villa writer, Greg Evans, as per usual. Greg, how are you? What have you been working on? Good, thanks, Dan. Yeah, very, been a very busy week, actually, just working on a, a story from the 2008-2009 season, which Villa fans will remember, obviously, for th- uh, when they threw away the chance of finishing in the top four. So, uh, you know, very detailed, long read on that. So, yeah, something I've been working on for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, I've not got very fond memories of that time, Greg, so up in the air as to whether I'll read it or not. But I'm sure it will be a good read. And if, if you want to read it as Villa fans, you can enjoy The Athletic for free for 90 days at the moment by going to theathletic.com slash villapod. That's theathletic.com villapod. 90-day free trial. Go back and look all over Greg's pieces. He's done some great stuff over the last nine or ten months. So, yeah, go back and have a look over that and get the free trial if you can. And that all fits in quite nicely, Greg, because today's guest... Played a part in that season for Aston Villa. It's centre-back Curtis Davis. We've been lucky enough to get him on the phone to talk over his time in Claret and Blue. So without further ado, here's Curtis now. Curtis, thanks ever so much for joining us today on, on 1874. It's a pleasure to have you on. I'm really looking forward to chewing the fat over your time at Villa. But first off, just wanted to speak to you a little bit about lockdown, how it's been treating you. I've noticed you've been doing some extreme gardening, but other than that, you've been okay? <laughs> yeah, I've been all right, I think. The first couple of days were the hardest, to be honest. I think my wife was getting annoyed with me because I was saying I was bored after two days. Um, but since that, it's all sort of calmed down, it's become the new reality. Um, I've adapted well, yeah. So my wife's been happy. She's had me in a loft. She's had me doing this, doing that. I, my wife bought a, a trampoline for our, our daughters. And I was like, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, good for them. And she goes, yeah, but you have to dig the hole. So uh, <laughs> that was a, a very interesting and very uh, tough task. But um, in the end, it got, I got there. And I, I, as I said in my tweet, um, it's one of the proudest moments of my life, to be honest. <laughs> what, what, what's worse, uh, a pre-season regime or dig, digging that hole? Because it's a big hole, that is, that looked like. Oh, do you know what? The digging, I, I know it sounds silly. I'm, I don't mind the graft. It was just the fact of, because I, I was the only one doing it, <laughs> I had to yeah. get all the turf get all the turf out, then lob all the turf. Luckily, I've had some trees removed in my house, so there's a big pile where I can dump the turf. But I had to get out, get it in a wheelbarrow, wheel it down, come back, start digging again. So it was um, it's quite mundane that side of it. But in the end, yeah, we got there. So I'm just delighted it's in. And uh, even yesterday, I had to finish it off and perfect it because my wife wasn't quite happy with the level, so I had to lift it out and raise it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you can never please him, can you? <laughs> <laughs> was that classed as your training for the day then, Curtis, or did you do, um, you know, some other cardio work as well? No, that, I logged it as my training. <laughs> I told them they, <laughs> they uh, the, our um, our fitness guys text every week and just say because um, technically we're on holiday on annual leave, um, so they text and they say, oh, any of your se- um, sessions you've done this week, just let us know. Um, so <laughs> Monday and Tuesday, I said, yeah, Monday went for a five k. Tuesday, got on the bike, done a bit in the garden. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I was digging a hole. <laughs> so um, I think that counts as conditioning rather than CV, but I've definitely done something anyway. So And, and just life at Derby, you know, it, it was going quite well before the uh, before the lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah, we, we were starting to pick up. Um, I think we were second in the form table since the turn of the new year. So it was quite frustrating um, that it, it all got stopped. But ultimately, it's the same for everyone, you know. Um, you're going to have some people that, you know, will be able to get a few players back that were injured. Other teams will be able to. Um, it's just 
it's just a not knowing is the biggest thing right now. Um, not knowing when it's all going to kick back off because ultimately we, we were in a good position. Um, we do want to get going again, but, you know, unfortunately, we don't know if or when this, this season will, will commence. And I think as a footballer being at home, I know there's much bigger things to worry about. Um, so I'm not getting ahead of myself, but in terms of as a footballer, it's just, yeah, it's just a bizarre situation not knowing when you're going to be able to step back into work. Yeah, it always sounds like there's something exciting going on at Derby as well. And I'm sorry to, to drag this <laughs> up, but obviously, obviously Villa beat Derby at the end of last season in, in, in the playoff yeah. final. I just wanted to know quickly how, how hard it is to, to go again after you've come so close to getting promoted. Obviously, I've experienced it as a, as a Villa fan, but as a yeah. player, how hard is it when you lose that final and you have to go again the next season? Oh, it's tough. It's really tough because... Knowing that, you know, we had those players, the the Mason Mounts, the Harry Wilsons, the Tamoris, and it, it was likely that we weren't going to be able to get them back in again. And obviously we knew there were a lot of rumours uh, floating around about, about the manager as well. Um, so the fact that we didn't go up, we knew it was, it was going to have to be broken up. And unfortunately, the way it sort of unfolded is is why it's become so hard for us to to bounce back from that, because... Obviously, Frank didn't go to Chelsea until late, very late into the into the summer holidays. Therefore, we had to conduct our manager. Um, well, I say our search. We were pretty much ready, but in terms of our manager couldn't come in until literally the first week of pre-season. And then from there, you know, you're, you're chasing to sign players that you know other teams have already got all their players in. You're fighting with people about um, where the, where these players are going to go, and then. All of a sudden, the season's there. Um, so I think that's why, I'm not making excuses by any means, but I think that's why we didn't really start off in the best way. But as I said, come January, um, I'm not saying things have clicked that we're we're flowing properly, but uh, we're doing a lot better and, and we're looking more like the team that could potentially uh, get promotion. Yeah, well, if football does come back, if, if and when, I, I wish you all the best with, with Derby's quest to get back in the Premier League. Derby, a club I like, a good club, but it's time to rewind to, to 2007, which to me doesn't seem that long ago, but actually when you say out loud, it, it is a long time ago and just about how you how you moved to Villa came, came about because obviously initially it, it was alone and I, I remember there being some kind of issues with, with Jeremy Peace at the time. It felt like he was dragging his feet a little bit, but how, how did it all get over the line you moved to Villa? Well, the the basic story of leaving West Brom is that at the start of that season in the Championship, having been relegated, I, I sort of discussed a, a move um, and then they, they said they didn't want me to move then. And I said, OK, I'll stay um, for Brian Robson at the time. Yeah. And um, I'll stay and I'll try and get us back up because obviously I was part of the relegation and the chairman uh, promised me that if we didn't go up, I could, I could leave. Uh, um, so... Unfortunately, come the end of the season, um, we lost the playoffs to um, Derby. And I didn't obviously go in the next day. I wasn't that cutthroat, but I gave it a few days and um, I contacted the chairman and just said, what kind of price are you looking for? And he said, I'm not selling you. Um, <laughs> so basically, it was it was going to be a difficult situation. So um, from then, which was obviously the end of May, all the way through until... August 30th when I signed for Villa, uh, it was ups, downs, twists, turns, um, trying, to, trying to get the move done. Um, but if I'm being totally honest, I, at first I thought I was going to Tottenham. Um, all all really? summer I really thought I was going to Tottenham. Um, there was strong interest there and, and I, was, I was quite happy with that because I'm from um, where my family live is Chingford, which Tottenham's 
15 minutes down the road. So um, it was perfect for me go back home. Uh, the training ground was literally, yeah, 10 minutes from my, my flat in London. Um, so, yeah, it, it suited me going to Tottenham. And the longer and longer it went on, I think Daniel Levy become a bit uh, annoyed, to say the least. And um, I think they <laughs> I were think trying to squeeze as much money out, trying to squeeze as much money out as possible. And I think eventually Martin O'Neill came in late on and joined the party and, and ended up being able to get the deal over the line. So um, I was delighted to sign Filler, massive, massive club. And um, yeah, it, it managed to get over the line literally on August 30th, I think it was. And, and I think the reasons behind it being alone were one, because it was quite late uh, in the window. But two, I think I think there might have been something to do with when they all wanted the payments and stuff like that, I think. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, negotiations between Jeremy Peace and Daniel Levy are much fun. T- two savvy operators there. I can, <laughs> I can imagine. No wonder that was drawn out. <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, Jeremy Peace, what I will say about Jeremy Peace, we were at loggerheads about this situation, like really, really, really bad. But if we sat in the kitchen, in the um, the canteen at the training ground, uh, away from his boardroom, away from his office, he was he was a good guy. <laughs> I could sit yeah. there and have a normal conversation. I could go into normal mode. So it's a really strange situation that, you know, I was I was literally knocking on his door every day um, saying, I want to leave, I want to leave, I want to leave. Because, you know, I was promised it. It wasn't because of the fact that I'm just trying to jump ship. I was promised it and and he, he turned his back on it. So um, I was knocking yeah, his sure. door every day. And then when, when we came back um, from a pre-season tour, he'd put up security doors. So you can't actually go knock on his door. You have to make an appointment with the secretary. <laughs> um, so it was, yeah, it was very interesting time. But I was just glad that it got the move got done. Um, and yeah, I got to be a field player. Were you worried about moving from from uh, West Brom to Villa because there's, there's a little bit of a rivalry there it's one of those rivalries that I think is always a bit more on the West Brom side than the Villa side yeah. but obviously being local were, were you worried about that at all? No um, if I'm being totally honest it it was more a thing I just wanted to move and, and I don't think West Brom fans were going to be happy wherever I went because of the way it was played out in the media um, as if I was I was doing this and I was doing that kind of um, kicking up a big fuss, which I, I was kicking up a fuss. I needed to go, yeah. but people didn't know the, the reasons behind the story. So I think they wouldn't have been happy wherever I went. If I went to Timbuktu, they still would have been devastated um, <laughs> because ultimately I was their captain. Um, I was I was a good player and they didn't want to lose me. So um, the fact it was Villa, I don't think that was so hard, not hard for me anyway, but um, I think it just meant that I was still going to be in town that... <laughs> I'll see a few more West Brom fans around the way that'll give me a bit of stick. That's the only thing that made a difference. <laughs> Obviously, your first game in the cup against uh, against Leicester, Curtis. And you know, this this is a, a a phrase that we've used many times in, in interviews in the past. But you labelled yourself a pub player at the time, didn't you? But just just take us back to that time. I mean, do you regret saying that, or do you? You know, were you, is that just how you felt? Look, I'd never regret anything that I've said. Um, I think me, I've always been my own harshest critic. Um, since being a kid from Sunday League, I've always got in the car after a game, spoke to my dad, spoke about the game, and we've always had this honest relationship where, you know, he'll say, oh, we won 6-0, I was a striker, oh, I scored five. Oh, yeah, but he could have scored six. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And then the yeah. day where, you know, we lost um, we lost 2-1, I didn't score. Oh, no, but you, you worked really hard, you set up the other goal. Do you know what I mean? So we've always had a kind of balanced sort of mind since a kid. And when I played that game, I felt that, so I said that. And I think I've always been a person that I address the elephant in the room. I always talk about myself first um, before I talk about we as a team. We done this, we done that. Because I think a lot of players, 
hide behind we rather than mm. saying, no, I was, I was poor. And that day I felt I'd let myself down, you know, being my debut, stepping up to this massive club, wanted to make an impact. Um, obviously, I was frustrated because I wasn't playing in the league, having, having had a slight injury when I first came. But, um, yeah, I, I felt like I let myself down. And, and when Pat was there, I, I just said exactly what I thought. And, and obviously, since then, it's become a bit of folklore about, <laughs> about, about my story at Villa. When you have a performance like that, do you, do you, do you then analyse your clips as it, in, the, in the same way as you would if you had a good performance? How was the debrief after that? I think you should always analyse your clips. Um, I say always analyse, but if you look through your clips, I mean, if you're going to analyse them in a win, analyse them in a loss. Because, yeah, yeah. as I said, what, with my dad's situation, having that honesty, sometimes you watch your clips in a loss and you maybe only made one mistake, but it might have cost a goal. And the rest of your game was a 9 out of 10. <laughs> so sometimes that gets in your head. And the same time in a win, in a win, you know, I might have made three or four mistakes, but my other centre half or a keeper might have got me out of trouble and, and saved me. So sometimes it's important not to hide behind the scoreline in terms of for your own performance, um, but just to look at your performance where you can improve. And I think if you do that as a, as a player, I think you're always going to learn little bits about yourself and, and uh, exactly what you should be doing. You did have to wait a little bit after after that game to, to break into the Villa side, but I think Zach Knight got got suspended. I think he, I think he got sent off against someone if, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And you, you managed to get get into the team alongside Martin Larson. I think you scored pretty early early on, if not your first game actually against Wigan. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. What's it like to have to wait so long? To, obviously, you've made that you've made that appearance in the in the famous pub player game, and then you've had to wait for ages to, to get a place. In, in the league as, as a new signing as someone who just wants to prove it, prove himself how hard is it to, to have to wait that long to get a place in the side yeah it was particularly hard for me because ha- since I turned professional at 19 I played every game um, so from Luton signing my first pro I played every game we got promoted um, from League One to the Championship then I got my move to West Brom played every game um, in the Premier League um, before obviously we got relegated I played 33 games then in the championship, played every game other than when I was injured. And then to come to Villa, obviously massive club, and you know you're going to have to fight for your place. But it was just new for me. So it was quite frustrating. Um, but ultimately, I knew there were good players playing ahead of me. And, and, and there's there's no argument. Obviously, I knew I was going to get my chance eventually. And luckily, when it when it came, I, I took it. And obviously, when Zat did get sent off, it was the, the crazy 4-4 against um, Chelsea. Um, yeah, I remember it. it yeah, and... Obviously, I've got in that game knowing that I was going to play the next game, basically. I knew that that's going to be suspended for one game. <laughs> I've got one game to make a mark. And unfortunately, we were 1-0 down uh, at half-time against Wigan. And the um, manager obviously had had some words to say. And luckily, uh, early on in the second half, I, I managed to score, get the equaliser, and then we went on to win the game. Um, so it's one of those things, as much as I say, you need to appraise your performance based on wins or losses. I think if we hadn't won that game, I might not have got the next game. And not not because of anything that I'd done wrong, but you know, when a when a player has played that many games in a row, um, and they only miss one game, sometimes it's hard for a manager to to let the other other player have their have their slot basically. Because Martin O'Neill wasn't one to rotate either, was he? Oh, no, he wasn't when, at when, all. when you're in, you're in. Yeah, yeah. That 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 is um yeah. We can speak more about that later. But yeah, he's definitely um he's definitely a creature of habit. <laughs> so things started to move quite quickly. You you got into the team. You you did well, establish yourself alongside Martin Larson, and then 
you've gone from the lows of not being in the team and then suddenly, as I say, things move quite quickly and you're getting called up by Fabio Capello for the England squad. That was crazy because I think that was the first time, listen, I, 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 when I turned up at Villa Park and obviously I played there as a, as a player for other teams, but I just mean when you turn up at Villa Park as a Villa player, um, you pull on the shirt, everyone singing for the for the team who were obviously highly successful at that time. Um, it was it wasn't until I got in the England squad that I realised how big a club Villa was, because I know it sounds silly, but you know, ultimately the England squad has always been quite political, and England managers are only ever going to look at the big teams mostly for for the for their players. And I'd only played at the time nine games for Villa, and I was in England thirty. And I was thinking to myself, I'm only just getting started. And for me, that was a massive, it was a massive boost um, just for my confidence in, in general. Obviously, I was happy that I was playing at Villa, which was one thing. But thinking, you know, this New England manager's come in. He's put me in his first 30. So he's obviously had a look. He's come in with a fresh plate and, and the future was looking bright. And um, obviously, as we as we go on into the story, um, three games after that, I unfortunately... Um, did my Achilles at the Emirates and 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 that sort of <laughs> put that idea into the onto the back burner. Yeah, that initial that initial squad that I was speaking to you last night. It was when he used to name a big big squad Capello and then he used used to cut think cut people, which was quite a quite a weird a weird time. I don't remember any other England manager in my time do, doing stuff like that. Yeah, he used to name a thirty and um, yeah, and cut it down to the twenty three. Um, <clears throat> and in the first squad, I was I was included in the thirty. I, I believe at the time. I think we were we were the club with the most involved. Yeah, I think we might have had there. six or seven. It was like myself, Scott Carson, uh, Gareth Barry, Gagbe Bonglaho, uh, Ashley Young. Yeah, we had about six six or seven involved, and um, yeah, it was it was massive for me just to be in the thirty. I wasn't I wasn't complaining. I wasn't in the twenty three yet because, as I said, no, I'd no. only played nine games. But if I'm in if I'm in the top, be it five centre halves in the manager's thinking at the time. Uh, then I'm I'm definitely delighted that 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 I've got got half the chance because back then we had some some really strong centre halves and and to be part of part of that was was massive. Um, yeah, like I said, it was just unfortunate I didn't obviously make that 23, but I knew there were there was there was a chance and and that someone was actually having a look for once. Yeah, I'm getting sad talking about all this. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on to Villa then? They're also yeah, some very strong. <laughs> There were also some very strong centre halves, obviously alongside you, Curtis at Villa. Martin Larson being probably one of the one of the best. Would you say he was your your best partner? Um, I'm going to surprise you here. I think as a partner, I'd say my my favourite partner was Carlos Cuellar. Oh really? Right. Okay. Yeah, and and the reason I say this, I, like I've spoken, my my brother-in-law's a big Villa fan, and he always asks me like, like why why do you feel that way? The way you play the centre half, you play as a partnership, you bounce off one another, you you know. You sort of you, you cover each other in the right ways, and and it's sort of a, a 50-50 split with Martin. And this is this is no way of criticism of him because this was his game, but the manager sort of allowed him to to go up for every header, to try and win everything. So if you're a centre half and you're playing, if I'm playing right side centre half, and I'm I'm getting ready, braced, ready to go for a header, and I hear Martin's, I didn't have to kind of stop. Let him go and try to win the header, even though it's on my side. And then, <laughs> unfortunately, if he loses that header, there's a massive space in his hole, and I'm the one that needs to cover it. Oh, sure. Yes, um, makes sense. So, yeah. so that, so that's the only reason I say that it is 
um, he was sort of given a license of you just go and win every header. And then basically I was kind of the mop up boy, um, which, mm. which was um, sometimes like, like I say, cause he, he, listen, he was brilliant in the air. He, he hardly lost many, but you know, as a, as a play, you know, I've always been taught as a center half headers on the right side are mine headers on the left yeah. side are yours. Anything in the middle, sure. loudest one or first one to shout goes for it. So that's the reason why I'd say in terms of partnerships, I think me and Carlos Cuellar sort of, yeah, we had a better understanding of each other's roles and, and we're a bit more balanced. That's that's the reason I'd say that. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting, actually. I mean, th- th- there are some sort of suggestions amongst Villa fans that that the, that, that Martin O'Neill sort of rain started to unravel slightly when, when Larson got injured then. I mean, would you have different thoughts on that, Curtis? I guess I, I would. I, I Listen, saying, obviously, because Larson got injured but the year after we obviously signed we had myself and Carlos Cuellar that saw the season out and um, the next season we signed Dunn and Collins and we finished sixth again so to say it unravelled around Martin um, getting injured I'd I'd have to disagree but listen he was a big player um, for the team he was a big player for the gaffer so obviously it does does make a big difference when you've got a manager that puts so much faith into into one person yeah because that next season it really felt like we were on for Champions League as a fan as someone who, who was sat in the whole end I, I really felt we, we were on for, for the top four and it, it did to me it just seem to coincide with, with, with Martin getting injured so it, it's interesting to, for, you, for you to say that actually you look at it we finished sixth th- three seasons in a row that, that's a, it's a really interesting point and something I'd never really thought of but there was felt there was, always felt there was a reluctance from Martin O'Neill to, to change change his side to, to rotate so so that next season when we, we were so so close to, to getting top four did Martin like, kind of rub people outside the first 11 of the wrong way? Because he did have a reluctance to rotate. The way you describe Martin O'Neill is if you're in his 11, you're everything, basically. Yeah. If you're in his 11, you're everything. <clears throat> if you're not, um, you're nothing, <laughs> basically. I think you've, he had maybe two or three that were his guys that if they were or weren't playing, they, he still loved them so maybe a Craig Gardner or um if Stillian Petrov uh when Stillian wasn't playing yeah uh they they were his guys that you know regardless of whether they're playing or not if he could still rely on them they're still his go-tos but he's he's it's just a cloughy mentality isn't it cloughy's is his idol and it's just the idea that by ignoring a player I guess you make him hungrier to want to get in that team and get into that 11 um so having obviously heard all the stories of Cloughy and things like that, um, I understand it a bit more now uh, than then. But it was a case that, you know, if you were in the 11, it seemed, I wouldn't say harder to get out because, you know, if you have a stinker, he will drop the bomb on you. Um, But but it's one of those that you kind of hope that, you know, you'll continue, especially if you're going well in the way that we did. Even, Even if it did maybe seem that we maybe need to rotate or play a different kind of style for a certain game. Um, I think he just sort of hoped that our momentum and our basically our, our, our main man Ash would would carry us to to, to victory. Interesting, you talk about Ashley Young. Was he the main man? Because we were talking, it was a good a good team. Obviously, you're talking about five or six players getting in the England squad the season before. Is that is that the way you saw it? That, that Ashley Young was the man at Villa. Uh, yeah, listen, Gareth Barry was top quality. Gareth Barry as our as our main a sort sort of you know breaking up the midfield getting on the ball, dictating the play that way. But in terms of match winner, Ashley Young, all day long. Um, you know, if we were struggling, 
pretty much be just get the ball to Ash. And that's that's sad to say because we were a top six team. But if we were struggling, it's get the ball to Ash and Ash will make something happen. And at that time, he was, as I say, one of the best players in the country. Um, so he was that good. And he thrived off of being our main man. That's the big thing, you know. Some people, you put the pressure on them to be the main man and, and to make things happen. Ash thrives off of that. And, yeah, and I think sure. that's what, one, got the best out of him. But two, us as a team um, got the best out of us as well. It sounds a little bit like Villa now, to be honest, with get the get the ball to Jack Grealish on, on the yeah. left-hand side. It, it seems to have yeah. gone, gone round in full circle because that's definitely what Villa are doing. Uh, Difference is Jack's picking it up in front of his uh, in front of his penalty box and having to dribble the whole length <laughs> of the pitch. Whereas at least with Ash, we could give it to him on a left wing and then wait for him to cut in and whip it in the top corner. So, yeah, yeah, great, great times. Are you surprised to see him play? I think we've asked a few people this who played, who played Ashley Young on, on this podcast, but to see him make the transition to fullback later on in his career, because I would have said at that point, absolutely no way. Is he ever going to be a fullback? I, I would say I'm more surprised with his mentality to allow himself to play fullback, not, not his capabilities, um, because, you know, in a progressive team now with modern fullbacks, Ash could, could obviously walk that job, which he has. He's obviously played for Man United at fullback and he's playing for Inter, um, which which are two massive, massive clubs. But it's more the mentality I didn't think Ash would have um, based on, you know, he was the main man. He was one of the best left wingers, even though he was cutting in, he was one of the best left wingers in the country. He went there as a left winger, you know. So I thought it might have been a bit more, you know, his ego wouldn't let him be sacrificed as a fullback and he'd possibly try and move on to play his position. But fair play to him. He, he he got his head down and said, no, I want to play for Man United. And he was happy to play fullback. And then from there, he obviously ended up going to the World Cup with England <laughs> as, yeah. as a fullback, which I never thought would happen. Um, and now he's playing for Inter Milan as a fullback. So I think it just shows that, you know, if you don't pigeonhole yourself and you have a little bit of, um, like I say, character about you and, and a willingness to, to to perform at whatever position you're, you're put in, um, you can you can go far in the game because even like say at 35 years old, him to go to Inter Milan and get a get a two year deal at Inter Milan to play a fullback is is amazing. Yeah, now Ashley Young was someone who didn't didn't play in in, in this night that still still annoys Villa fans. I think you know what what's coming here. The night the yeah. night in Moscow, you, you played yeah. in that game. I think probably mainly because there was a massive shortage of of centre halves at the time. I think you probably yeah. would have been rested if we'd have had more centre halves available. We've talked about the lack of rotation in in the league and that perhaps harming Villa. But that night in Moscow, O'Neill just basically took took everyone out, pl- played the reserves, pl- played the kids in what was a winnable competition for Villa. Just just wanted to know your thoughts on that on that famous evening in Moscow. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was quite frustrating because you know we played the first leg, we drew one at Villa Park, um, so they technically had the the upper hand with the away goal. Yeah, um, but there were nothing to be scared of or nothing to be if if we we went at it strong um, I thought we could have had a right good go but I think the, the method behind the madness was we were due to play Chelsea on the Sunday afterwards and I think the manager saw it as you know a massive game try and get the points and then we'll we'll be in the top four um, but ultimately going there with an untrick side that a lot of these players because of the lack of rotation hadn't played for maybe you know I don't know two months or things like that the young lads were all right because they they played in the reserve games, but the ones that were in between us that you know um, were, were first team players maybe didn't play all the reserve games. Um, so it was it was a strange time, but 
saying that, we actually could have won that tie because from what I've been told, uh, well, what I was told after that game is we actually went 1-0 up. Um, I think it was Nathan Delfonso scored. Uh, Michael Brighton set up Nathan Delfonso. I think it was both of their debuts. Yeah. And apparently he was onside. <laughs> so the crazy thing is, we could have went 1-0 up, had the away goal, and then the mentality would have been slightly different. That You know, we sit, we hold, and, and we yeah. could maybe grind something out. Um, so we might not have been having this conversation. It might have been a genius um, stroke from Martin <laughs> O'Neill. Um, but unfortunately, it was just one of those things. Listen, when you play in Europe, it's a, it's a massive kind of thing, you know, playing against these, these foreign teams and playing in these stages, playing in these atmospheres, because... That atmosphere was quite um, quite interesting, shall we say, um, with some of the chants and things like that. Playing on a, a 3G pitch was was really strange. Um, but yeah, it was just a, an amazing kind of um, experience. But just a shame that, as you said, with, with our squad, we didn't give it a good go and, and try and win it. But from what I've been told, there, there wasn't a lot of money in, in the UEFA League. Um, was it UEFA Cup then? Yeah, it was UEFA Cup then. It was UEFA Cup still, um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, there wasn't a lot of money in it, so therefore the club weren't too interested. <laughs> I, su- I suppose it's a case of if if you rest, if you decide that the UEFA Cup isn't really you know for you, and 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 okay, admittedly the the priority was getting into the top four, and it, and if you'd have achieved that, great. But I suppose it's the fact that it then fell away, and it started with the two two draw at Stoke. I mean, do you do you remember that game, Curtis? Directly after the oh trip yeah to Moscow. Yeah, I was yeah yeah we were obviously turning up and. That, yeah, that haunts me still there. I think one of the goals I got done by Shawcross at the front post, I think he came up, I don't know if he was up for a corner or, or came up front or something like that, but I got done. So I think I got a bit of a, a rollicking afterwards, but in my own yeah. head, I was already cursing myself. So like I say, I, I accept that. And, you know, Stoke at the time, um, obviously we're a team that you know what they're about. We were Villa, we were flying. And to be 2-0 up, you think you're cruising. And then um, for them to come back was, was a disgrace, really. Um and like I say, when when you do look back at certain moments of the season, you think it could have been a lot easier for us to to get into that top four. But ultimately, you know, the, the top four get into the top four because of their consistency and and their level throughout a whole season, and um, usually beating the teams they should beat. And um, unfortunately for us, we we failed with that. But by um, by particularly drawing that game that day, yeah, it was a real sliding doors moment because. After you've made the changes for Moscow, you you then have to go and win that next game. And to be 2-0 up, I remember Carew scoring an absolute world in. The whole end was on fire. Everyone was absolutely buzzing. And then to chuck that game away, as I say, it felt like a sliding doors moment. It, again, un- unravelled from there and we, we went on a, on a real bad run. I remember O'Neill starting to get a bit of grief from the fans at that point as well. The fans that had been at the Moscow game. There was like, it had to be some kind of some kind of dinner that night. And I don't think O'Neill in, in de- endeared himself to the fans that have been at the Moscow game who got invited to that special special dinner yeah. either. Did Martin start to change at that point? Because it was the first time I remember him really being under any pressure. No, he never changed. He's doing monkeys. Um, <laughs> listen, Martin was Martin. Martin, obviously, is his will and his, um, his mindset is strong as anything you'll ever see. He always says what he thinks, and I'm guessing that's why maybe things didn't go down well in that Moscow. Because uh, I think Nigel Kennedy was with him, weren't, weren't he, I think? Because uh, I think, I think so, Nigel yeah. Kennedy had a concert out there. So, um, yeah, I remember. It, well, I just remember it. Uh, but, listen, Martin is, is Martin. So whether or not he's under pressure or not, he's going to be honest. He's going to say what he thinks. And obviously, due to the fact that we were losing games, I think that's the reason it's going to rub people up the wrong way. 
rather than, you know, when you're winning games, sometimes you might have said similar things, but it gets away with it because he's winning. So I don't think it changed Martin at all. And, and I think Martin was always going to do exactly what he wanted. Can you, can you remember, Curtis, at, at that time, um, I think there was a couple of defeats that sort of followed Tottenham, um, possibly Man United, I think, uh, uh, McKay just scored late to win 3-2 and, and it just started to unravel yeah. slightly. Was, was there ever a time when the players sort of just got together, um, you know, and almost had like an emergency meeting between them and said, this is how we're going to sort of get through this? Was, was there anything like that at the time? Um, no. Uh, it, 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 I don't know, it's a... We never heard held any emergency meetings. You know, we, we had words in the change room and things like that. And I do remember, obviously, after a couple of video nasties and things like that, we'll be asked our opinion and certain things will come out and certain things will be said. Um, but never with any substance. I mean, it was kind of, you know, I think this, I think that. And then mm. sort of someone else would say something and, and that was kind of it. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I believe, you know, tactically, we need to start doing this or we need to start doing that. And then maybe went on the training field and done it. Um, none of that kind of happened. It was just a case that, you know, a couple of people give opinions. <laughs> you, you're, you're happy that, you know, people care and people are, are, are kind of saying their piece. But ultimately, it just didn't really go far. And and obviously, unfortunately, the season kind of pitted out and, um, yeah. and we ended up finishing sixth. Just listening to you there, it almost feels like it was just like a half-soaked effort, almost as if the players sort of thought that they were almost deserved to be where they were. Is that fair to say? Or? Um, I wouldn't say that. I think I think we all had high hopes, but we knew the reality, I guess, at the same time that, you know, that even though we're a club that spent money, you know, you've got Man United, the Liverpools, the Arsenals, do you know what I mean? Uh, that obviously eclipse what we spend um, and what people are getting paid and things like that. But, it was just a case that I feel we maybe felt it needed to come from maybe management. You know, um, maybe we felt it needed to be an overhaul in terms of how we're going to approach different things and, and maybe on the training ground doing a lot more tactically towards what we want to do, what we want to be. Um, but obviously, I guess, like I say, we'd got into the position we were by doing the things that we were doing in training. So to change it then, just because we're having a little bit of a wobble, I guess some people would say, well, we should have been doing it all season. Um, so, mm. listen, like I said, Martin Martin is a is a creature of habit and, and maybe he felt that eventually we'd get back into the groove. But unfortunately, it, it didn't quite happen for those those last few games of the season. Sure, sure. And I think we've talked about this in previous interviews, Curtis, but am I right in thinking that Martin sort of always had one plan and just stuck to it? There was never really a plan B? Yeah, I think that's that's safe to say. I think if if there was a plan, it was just our, our better players win us the game. We never really had. Um, I know it sounds silly, but we never really had clear tactical guidance in terms of you know, oh the the left backs weak. Um, we're gonna we're gonna isolate um, say Gabby when he was playing right wing. I'm gonna isolate Gabby with the left back, and we're gonna let Gabby beat him. And then you know we're gonna load the box. He's gonna get crosses. There was ne never any any of that. It was just. Uh, read the names from the team sheet, go out there and win the game. <laughs> so I think our only plan B was, okay, instead of using all the good players, give it to Ash. <laughs> that, oh, that was, kind, that was basic, kind of it. it? Yeah, yeah. No, but, but ultimately, like I said, it's very easy to, to sort of look at it from the outside looking in and think, oh, wow. Um, but we were winning games. You know, we had the likes of the Gareth Barrys, we had the Ash Young, John Carews, we had these top players that, that were making the games happen for us. So, 
luckily we we didn't need too much guidance because our players were doing it themselves and and ultimately like I say we're winning games and and when we did need a little bit extra give Ash a bit more of the ball and, and we'll win a few more games um so <laughs> yeah it, it was it was just the the way we did we we did it and and fortunately we we, we got a lot of success in it mm. and without without hammering Martin too much because I mean to be fair to him the league positions did reflect a, a decent sort of a decent uh, round of management, but do you think if you had a if you had a manager a little bit more tactically astute that, that Villa could have done better? I think that's that's hard to say really because ultimately Martin's way might have suited certain players. So you know the way Martin had his favourites, so the way he used to big up Gabby, the way he used to big up Ash. I think with their them two as characters, I think that was everything for them because I think if if you have a manager that's a bit more balanced than you know. Uh, maybe wants a little bit more from Ash working back and maybe wants a little bit more from Gabby running the channels. Um, it might take away from their game, whereas Martin gave them all the confidence and every single tool in terms of express yourself, go do what you do and we'll win games because both of them at the time were, were top draw. Um, so I think those two players benefited from that and our team benefited from that kind of model. Um, whereas, you know, if you have a, a more tactical manager that comes in and is, is, oh yeah, I want you here, I want you here when this happened, blah, blah. I think sometimes that might fall on deaf ears with certain players and you never know. Like It might have worked, it might not have, but I, I think it'd be unfair on Martin to say um, that his ways are the reason that we didn't we didn't get just above that sixth place. Yeah, really, really interesting to, to hear these stories, Curtis. I just want to move on and focus on, on you a little bit at the start of the 2009-2010 yeah. season. So, Villa, as, as we spoke about earlier, are doing their transfer business quite late. There's only you and Carlos centre-backs at the time. I think that night had been sold to, to Bolton that summer. And you're playing through the pain barrier at, at the start of the season. You've, you've, you've got a shoulder injury, if, if I remember correctly. And you put, you're putting yourself at risk, really. And ultimately, you, you, you end up injured. Is that part of your makeup as a footballer, like putting, the, putting the team's needs before your own? Yeah, I'm, I'm a player that, if I physically can get out there, and do my job. Listen, if I, if I physically can get out there and I'm going to be 50% of what I am and I'm going to let the team down, I won't I won't play. But in terms of if I can physically get out there and I can do a job, then I'm going to do it. And um, I think basically my, with my shoulder, it started in the season before in the FA Cup against Everton. Um, I, I dislocated my shoulder three times in the game, um, but I just popped it back in and, and carried on. Um, but, but that's it. And then obviously with that, I finished the season and it never happened again. So, you know, I crack on, I get into the next season. Um, and it actually was during the, the Peace Cup. Um, we were playing Porto um, in the semi-final of the Peace Cup. And unfortunately, I think I went up for a header and I think the player in front of me kind of jumped awkwardly in front of me and lifted my shoulder out of socket again. And, and I, I popped it back in. Uh, but instead of this time um, carrying on, because it was a, a, technically a friendly tournament, um, yeah. I was I was taken off and, and kind of thought, oh, okay, that that will be me for a couple of weeks until the season starts. Get get yourself ready for the season. But unfortunately, we, Kieran Clark got sunstroke um, from us being <laughs> at Ocean Beach. <laughs> um, he got sunstroke from being yeah from in Marbella being on Ocean Beach, um, and it meant that. The manager turned to me and said, listen, I need you. Um, I want you to play against Juventus in the final. So me, I'm honest. And plus, you know, you're playing against Juventus. Um, I wanted to play. So 
I strapped it up, um, got my got my shoulder brace thing on, and and played the game. And we ended up winning on penalties, and and obviously that was a, a massive, massive thing um, for us. Even though, listen, it's a friendly tournament, but the the young team that we played against them uh, in the final, for us to have won that game was a massive boost to, to everyone's confidence. So um, yeah, the future looked bright. And then um, we uh, after that game, the manager was hugging me. You know, thanks for playing, thanks thanks for doing this, blah blah blah. Get back to to England, um, play the last couple of preseason games. Then we play um, Rapid Vienna in the first leg, dislocate it again. Um, I think late on, I think I managed to pop it back in, but I think late on in that game I, I came off. I think maybe seventy odd minutes or something I came off um, and tried to save it for the league game. Played Aston Villa, uh, Aston Villa played um, Liverpool. The roller coaster again. Uh, play Liverpool. I was needed, obviously. Martin, um, kind of, you know, I need you. You're a lion. Come on, uh, play. Obviously, me popped it back in. No problem. I'll play. It's Liverpool. Who doesn't want to play at Liverpool? Go to Liverpool. Win three-one. Scott the cop end. And then uh, <laughs> four days later, or or three days later, whenever it was, I think that was the Monday night. Three days later, um, Rapid Vienna second leg, and unfortunately, I, I do it again. And um, with the doctor at the time, Roddy, saying, you know, it, it's one thing you've done it once, but three times in a month, this is just going to keep happening. Um, so you're going to need to get it done. And um, looking back now, I don't know if that was a tactical thing in terms of by making me get the op just before the window, it kind of forced our hand that we could get two centre-halves in rather than one. Because we, I, knew, I knew all along, obviously, we were always looking for for one um, with that leaving but obviously then it, it sort of kind of forced Randy's hand that you know Curtis is now injured for three months um, so we might need two obviously we then went and got um, Ging and, and Dunny um, so those two came in and then the rest was history <laughs> kind of thing um, it, it, it just it was all kind of downhill from there yeah Martin ends up leaving the, on the eve of the 2010-11 season, but that, that doesn't save. I say it's probably not the right word, but it doesn't lead to you, you staying long-term at Villa. No. I mean, we won't talk about where, where you went to after that. We don't, we don't want to dwell on those kind of moves. Curtis, but I just wanted, just, wanted to, just, just wanted to finish by saying, uh, I was listening to you on Sky the other day and you were talking about giving advice to young centre-halves at Derby and how you how you tell them not to be noticed and then when they get a chance earn the manager's trust and it made me think a little bit about your time at Villa and although obviously Martin O'Neill I think is probably a difficult manager to play for that that's pretty much how I, how I remember you at Villa I, d- I don't really remember noticing you that much because like you say you're playing yeah. next to Martin Larson most of the time so he's the one who's coming out and, and winning all the headers because that's his game but the most I remember you standing out is wearing a headband in a win, yeah. a win against Arsenal, Arsenal. At, at the Emirates. And that's one last one that done me. Yeah, was it? Yeah. <laughs> that's how I remember you. Pretty consistent. And you did well at Anfield your last game. Then then I didn't see you again. That's the most frustrating thing, I think, for me. Because, you know, I, I'll have, obviously now and then, obviously because I went to Blues, um, I, I'm not sure if I was allowed to mention that name on the on the podcast. But <laughs> no swearing on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but obviously because I went to Blues, it, it then became, you know, the, the villain as such. Um, it then became a bit of pantomime, you know, oh, you've gone to Birmingham, so you're, you're theirs now. Um, and, you know, people saying, oh, it didn't, didn't quite happen for you. I feel like it didn't quite happen for you. Um, but... I, it's it's hard to explain to people. Well, my last league game for Villa, we won three one at Anfield, and I scored. I think people forget that 
I think people were like, oh, it just, oh, you just fizzled out and you couldn't get in the team. It was no. I, I played in, I played in a team that was that was in the, getting into the top six. We signed two quality centre halves in in James Collins and, and Richard Dunn. And the most frustrating thing for me that season was that when I came back from my shoulder injury, I was fit in the December. Uh, but obviously, I then had to build myself up in terms of contact and things like that. So when it came to January, I kind of knew. Listen, we were we were high flying again. We were doing well. We were doing well in the in the Carling Cup um, as well. And I thought I'm not going to play. So I, I kind of looked to Martin and, and I went to Martin and said, um, Gaffer, I know the team's strong. I I know my worth. I I know realistically I'm not going to get in the team. But can I go on loan? Because at the time I could have gone to Wigan with Robbie Martinez, or go to Celtic with Tony Mowbray. And what I wanted to do is just go on loan. And I said, I want to go on loan, get myself back to where I was, and I want to come back and fight for my place in the in the summer gaffer. Because obviously we had um, Collins, Dunn, Quayer, and Kieran Clark had been promoted. So I thought, if I'm fifth choice, choice centre-half, there's no point in me being here. And then um, the manager was like, no, no, don't be silly. Don't be silly. You're part of it. I really want you here, blah, blah, blah. And I think, again, maybe tactically, what kind of happened is I was sort of eased back into the squads where, you know, in the squad, not on the bench, in the squad, on the bench, in the squad, on the bench, in the squad, not on the bench. And then it got to just after the deadline and I was not in the squads. <laughs> um, so it was it was kind of a frustrating situation where I'd rather have just had the honesty of you're not going to play, so go on loan. But I don't know if in the back of his head with Martin, maybe, I don't know, after what happened with, with Gaz Cahill and things like that, you know, when Gaz went on loan and then he ended up going to Bolton and things like that, he ended up doing well and people are maybe looking at it like, why isn't he here? Um, yeah. I, I don't know if it was one of those situations where if I'd gone on loan to Wigan and was pulling up trees, play, playing well, um, that people might have asked, well, why is he not playing for us? So I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I still, you'd have to ask Martin that, but it was just the fact that, you know, I came out of that meeting, the first meeting thinking, floating on air. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be part of it. Wow, yeah. And then, you know, getting back in the squads, you know, it's going to be tough to get in the team, but oh, I'm back in the squad. And all of a sudden, you're sort of eased out of the squad, sort of like a, a pyramid. Um, and and that was it. And and then from there, I obviously pretty much didn't play for a year. And, and that was probably the most frustrating thing. And and alongside that, the most frustrating thing was was when Julio came in and, and didn't look at me either. So um, that was that was quite frustrating. Thanks ever so much for talking to us t- today, Curtis. We'll forgive you your you move to Blues. Obviously, you've come on the podcast <laughs> today, which which we really appreciate. And as hopefully other Villa fans that listen to this will as well. And yeah, just good luck with, with the rest of your career. Obviously, you, you're still in the Midlands. You've done a mini tour of the, of the Midlands, <laughs> really. And hopefully you, you can help get Derby up if football does come back, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Curtis. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers, gents.